John chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at, in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Brilliant. Let me draw it. Carry on those conversations afterwards. Uh, but let me, um, let me pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for all that we've heard. Thank you so much that you hear our prayers. Uh, Lord, thank you that you hear our voice. Uh, but Lord, we pray we would hear yours. Thank you that your word is alive, it's active. Thank you that you're alive and that you love to speak to us. And I pray, Father, uh, by your Holy Spirit, would you unlock uh, our hearts to just see the wonder and hear uh, your word uh, that life might erupt in us. Uh, for Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Don't know what you've been chatting about, but please do carry on those conversations. Um, not right now, uh, afterwards. Um, but over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the kingship of Jesus, uh, how his glory has been displayed, but not in a carriage, uh, not in a palace, but as he's been sentenced, executed, and buried. And we've been thinking about how our king in all of this has been working and serving us. Uh, he's been ending our sins uh, with the words, it is finished. Uh, we've seen how he's taken them to the grave. And the irony is, this is his weakest moment. Uh, this is the bit where he's mocked and ridiculed by the world. Uh, but in the most, in the ultimate judo flip that has ever happened, how God has used the power of his opponents uh, to accomplish his own purposes through all of this, through his weakness, has become his strength as he's used it to save us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we left it, he's in the tomb, uh, and I'm sure you're all fully aware the story is not over yet. Uh, we, uh, Graham read for us this resurrection sign. Uh, this resurrection sign is the big authentication stamp uh, on all that Jesus has said and done and it basically says Jesus is legit uh, he is the real deal evil has been conquered death has been 
swallowed up in victory. Jesus is the king. Uh, not only that, uh, and what we'll see today is that this resurrection sign is also a first glimpse of the life or the new creation that you and I are going to look forward to. Uh, the life that we are one day going to be raised up ourselves to know uh, for ourselves. Sorry, the life we're going to be raised up to know for ourselves. And this is what signs are all about, especially in John. And sign is the right word. Uh, when we often think of uh, resurrections or things that Jesus did that are extraordinary, walking on water, we think of them as miracles. Uh, but they're not just miracles. They're not just good things that he's done. They are signs. They are signposts. And we're to ask the question, what is the significance of them? Uh, the resurrection included, this is not just a miracle. Uh, if you remember the sign of the water into wine, it wasn't that Jesus just wanted to help the party. He wasn't just trying to fix the wedding. It was a sign that he is coming to transform the world, transform you and I. If you think about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus wasn't just wanting to fill hungry bellies, although he, he did that. It was a sign that you need him, the bread of life, and if you get him, you will never be hungry again. But if you think about all those signs, transformation, uh, the hunger, you're, you're left thinking, really, Jesus, how are you going to do this? Why are you the one qualified? Well, this is where the resurrection steps in and it brings everything together. It's the ultimate sign. Uh, all the other signs is like the difference between um, minor DIY jobs in the home and a full renovation. Uh, so think for a moment of a house that's in desperate need of a revamp. You might just be looking around your own house. I don't know. Uh, but perhaps the wiring is outdated. Perhaps there's water coming through the ceiling. Perhaps there's mold on the walls. Perhaps it's damp. Perhaps the kitchen doesn't work. The carpets are old. You get the picture. It needs gutting. It needs remodeling. It's no use just plugging in a lamp or putting up some new curtains or fixing a bookshelf to the wall when everything needs to be stripped back and starting again. All the signs that we've seen so far are the equivalent of kind of putting up bookshelves. That's a good thing to do, thanks very much. But what really needs to happen is the whole house needs to be refurbished. And what we've seen in Jesus over these past few weeks as he's sentenced and killed and buried, we've seen him take our old humanity, our old home, if you like, and revamp it, stripping it right back, taking it into the grave, giving it the death it deserves. And today, as we look at this resurrection sign, we see something of the new humanity that he is raising up. We see something of the new home that Jesus is building. It is for all those who believe. And here, as we look at Jesus, we see what is coming not just a minor DIY job but a total refurbishment it's a bit like those artistic animated impression pictures you know on the sides of housing developments you know when they're under construction and there's like a picture on the side of what it's going to look like well here 
is what we are going to look like. This is what the finished work is going to be when we are raised up. Um, and there's just a few clues in this passage, three clues that I want us to think about as we see what does this sign point us to about this new home that we have. Uh, and firstly, it's in verse one, we have a new start. Just look down at verse one. This is the first day of the week. Now, interesting little phrase. Why did he not just say two days later? Uh, why didn't he, isn't he recording for us what happened, that Jesus died and buried two nights ago? That's where our minds are, isn't it? And why didn't he just say, okay, two days later, uh, Jesus rose from the grave? Doesn't he want us to know the timings of what went on? Well, I'm sure he does. But I think John, in the, the subtle writer that he is, wants to tell us way more than it just happening two days later. I think what he's saying in this little phrase is the equivalent of us saying to one another, especially to us when we're discouraged, you know, today is a new day. Not just that two days since the dreadful event, but today is a new day. There's a tone of optimism. The first day of the week is hugely symbolic if you are in the Jewish mindset. It's the day that God rested from his creation. Uh, from creating the world and the cosmos everything was completed and on the seventh day he rested that idea of seven is a number of perfection and completion and the first day of the week marks that seven you remember Elisha told Naaman to wash seven times in order to be healed the Israelites marched seven times around the walls of Jericho to secure the victory in Revelation there are seven churches symbolic of all the churches that Jesus wants to write to. We could go on and on. There's 700 references to seven and perfection and completion in the Bible. At the start of this resurrection sign, John doesn't simply say two days later, but he says on the first day of the week, when everything is completed, something astonishing is going to happen. It's a great line to include, isn't it? It's not, and it's no less true for us today. 2,000 years on of this new start, we live in the age of this brand new beginning. We live in the age of new starts because Christ is risen from the dead. Today, as long as, we, as, long as today is called today, it is a day of new beginnings. It's a day of hope. It's a day of resurrection. I know we all have various griefs, don't we? Various trials, various heartaches, anxieties, disappointments, misunderstandings. I don't want to undermine those in any way if you are struggling in particular. But the resurrection means, the sign is, if we believe in it, we at the very least need to learn to change our perspective when it comes to trials and sufferings. It's a very difficult thing to do. I can so easily say it, and if you look at me and my own life and experience, I very seldom live it. But it's so essential if we believe in the resurrection to change our perspective that we live in an age of new beginnings and new starts. Uh, Peter in his first letter he writes to a church on the brink of a severe persecution 
through Emperor Nero. Horrendous things will be done to Christians during this time. But maybe anticipating it, I don't know, he writes and he gives them this new perspective that they should have through Jesus' resurrection. Just listen to what he says. I, I praise God, I praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's given us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept secure for you in heaven and you through faith are now shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials and listen to how he changes their perspective look listen these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed can you hear what he's saying we've got this new living hope through the resurrection of the dead. And you may have to suffer in all kinds of trials, but get the right perspective. These have come so that your faith may be refined, that you might trust in the Lord Jesus more, and that when he does come, he might praise you and glory in you and honor you for getting through it. Though you do not see him, he goes on to say, you love him and you believe in him, are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy as you persevere you're receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your soul you see with the resurrection the ultimate sign it points us to a new day that we live in we have a new song we have a living hope and that should cause us to rejoice that's the first thing we have a new hope it's a new day second thing is that we have a new future uh, the disciples don't they they enter in mary has seen that the um uh, the stone has rolled away it's dark she probably didn't look all the way in but she knows that jesus is not there and she rushes to the disciples to peter and john in particular and tells them the news the disciples run peter lags behind john gets to the door and then peter goes in that famous kind of little mini dual act that goes on um but when they get in there they see that the linen is still there now you might not think much to that detail yeah, familiarity with it might just think yeah jesus is risen and there is his linen uh, his grave clothes um but i think there is a real contrast going on between Jesus being raised and Lazarus being raised in chapter 11 and it's all to do with the detail of the linen if you flick back to John chapter 11 uh, verse 44 John records as Lazarus as, as Jesus calls out to Lazarus uh, come out uh, verse 44 the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face Jesus said to them take off the grave clothes and let him 
go. So Lazarus comes out a little bit like a mummy, but less scary, kind of shuffling because he's still quite bound. Um, and Jesus says, look, you need to get, get help him, get, get these things off him. Uh, and the cloth that goes over his face, John says, is still there as well. Now note those details and then just look again at verse 6 of chapter 20. Peter saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still in its place, separate from the linen. Now, can you see how he's kind of contrasting what happens with the linen? Now, I've, I don't know if I've got this got this right please come back at me if, if you if you've got other suggestions but there's a few observations that I've been thinking about in terms of this linen firstly Lazarus is bound isn't he he's he doesn't know what's going on perhaps he's confused and the obvious thing is he needs help getting out of it he's he's shuffling out he can't do anything for himself Jesus on the other hand has no help uh, the clothes are lying there neatly placed. He seems to have everything in his hands. He knows exactly what he's doing as he's raised from the dead. Now, Lisa made this point, credit where credit is due, but I'm stealing it because it's a brilliant point. Um, she says, Lazarus brought his grave clothes out of the tomb. Uh, and she says, because he would need them again. He was going to die again, but Jesus will never die again. So keep the grave clothes in the tomb. I thought that was a fabulous point. Um, but further to that as well, Lazarus needed help to be unbound, didn't he? Now, if you read the NIV, and many commentators think this as well, it seems as though uh, with, with Lazarus as he needed help to get out, it seems like Jesus passed through his grave clothes uh, just look at verse 7 the cloth that was wrapped around Jesus head was still lying in its place separate from the linen uh, as I said some uh, a lot of commentators think he passed through others think he just got up and placed it and folded it back down it's certainly possible that Jesus could pass through it um, it's certainly true and here's my point about our new future that his resurrected body was very different to his body when, it, when he was killed. In just a few moments time later in the chapter, Jesus will pass through the walls of locked rooms before the disciples. Um, it feels funny, doesn't it, to be telling these kind of stories in a kind of very naturalistic scientific age, but it's, it's there in the text, he passed through. And to me, it's clear he was raised up. Uh, he was human. He was physical. But he was not mortal. As Lisa pointed out, Lazarus would die again. And in a sense, his resurrection is more like a resuscitation because he will die. But Jesus was different. He would never die again. Paul says in Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Jesus' body is the same, but entirely different 
at the same time. A chapter worth studying for yourselves on this is 1 Corinthians 15. If you've got a Bible, just flick across. Uh, You're on page 1,156. Uh, but just uh, listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 39, um, and listen to what Paul says. Not all flesh is the same. And he's talking about bodies, our physical bodies. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. And fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another the sun has one kind of splendor the moon and another and the stars another and the stars differ from star in splendor can you see what he's saying on very basically uh, People, animals, birds, fish, they all have different kinds of physical bodies. And that's kind of obvious. But then he's kind of making the point that so there is yet another kind, a heavenly body. And if you like, this is what we see with the Lord Jesus on that resurrection morning, an infusion of the physical and the spiritual, the earthly and the eternal the heavenly body is of another kind of splendor paul says like the splendor of the sun is different from the splendor of the moon and the stars so this heavenly resurrected body is of another splendor from the earthly body that we have jesus is entirely different human physical but not mortal never to die again Listen to how Paul goes on in verse 42 of 1 Corinthians. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Listen to what's happening. Have Jesus in your mind as I read this. The body that is sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It's sown, it goes into the ground in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. You see, his mortal body was like a seed going into the ground only to be sprouted up a new heavenly body. He has been raised, if you like, into a new type of person. And for you and I sitting here, this is the glimpse of the new future for anybody who belongs to Christ. And I think this is perhaps what this linen here illustrates and the difference between Lazarus. Lazarus Lazarus came out and needed the help. Jesus didn't. Maybe he passed through, maybe he didn't. But his old grave clothes remain in the grave and a new future for humanity has been made available. And friends, the, the brilliant news for us is that Christ is the first fruits of this resurrected form. For all those who belong to him, we will be raised in exactly the same way. We too are gonna be like seeds planted in order that we might be raised intended for what we were made to be. 
Like that carrot seed becomes a carrot when it's buried. So for us as Christians, we will be raised up to be like Christ, but we get buried first and then raised up imperishable, just like the Lord Jesus. Can you see how we need to change our perspectives uh, when it comes to this life? The Christian hope is remarkably different from anything else we could ever look at in this world. And the future that Jesus brings is remarkably different. Paul at the crescendo of that chapter says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Isn't it absolutely wonderful that we have a king who's been raised up entirely different, seeing the revamp of the humanity that he is leading in. And that is our future, where the physical and the spiritual are infused in this other, otherworldly way. Awesome. Last sign, uh, or last, um, uh, last piece of significance about this sign, if you like. So we've had the new hope, uh, we've had the new future, uh, and I want us just to finish with thinking about the new belief. Uh, Peter and John rush in. Uh, maybe they thought they were seeing a crime scene. Uh, maybe they thought that Jesus' body had been stolen, but they see how the linen is laid uh, they see what is going on and this is not a crime scene for Peter and John. Uh, this is not confusion and chaos like crime scenes bring. There's something optimistic, something purposeful. And we're told that John saw the linen and believed. He saw the linen and believed. What exactly did he believe? It might be that he believed Mary, that the tomb was empty and that Jesus is not there. I don't think so. Uh, the word believe here is the same word used throughout the gospel for this total commitment and belief in, in the Lord Jesus. It's the whole reason why John wrote the gospel that we might believe and here John believes. He doesn't fully grasp the whole picture. Uh, the next verse, we're told that their minds were not open to the scriptures to understand that Jesus must rise from the dead. Uh, the full meaning and, and implications of what happened is not clear, but he saw the evidence and he believed. And aren't we in the same position as John? Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the risen Lord Jesus. Please let me know if you have. That's very exciting. Um, but John hadn't seen him. He just saw the evidence. He saw the clues. And he believed. And there's no, really no different for any one of us. Uh, John 19, 25, um, John talks about himself. The man who saw this has given you this testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he's telling you the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. John 20, 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All of this is written so that we might look into that tomb with John and follow suit and believe. 
And the reason why I've called this a new belief is because I just want to finish with the question, in your life, what is your hope in? What do you hope will bring you all the desires of your heart? What do you think is going to sort out the world's problems? Here we see in the Lord Jesus, someone who's taken humanity and its deepest issues and its deepest problems and has buried them. But not only that, is given us a new future. And can I just encourage you to put your hearts, to put your life, to put your whole being in the hands of this risen man, the Lord Jesus Christ. All the world will stand before him one day as he judges everything. He is the eternal one, the Alpha and the Omega, before whom we will all give an account. And here he's come to provide a new way through that, through that great and dreadful day. This world is so desperate for this day. It needs it so much. But can I ask you, is your heart and your mind and your life trusting in this risen saviour? I'm going to leave it there. We've got much more to say, but I'm going to come back to it next week. We've got plenty of time next week too. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this glorious future that you are paving for humanity. Thank you for the glimpses of this new future that we have. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would usher into our own lives new belief. Lord, it's so easy to go to lesser things, uh, to earthly things. But here we see in the Lord Jesus, a heavenly body and an eternal one, a Lord of all creation. And may in our hearts and minds and as a church family continually turn and put our life and our trust like John in this great saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.